Uh, we're kicking off a, a new season of joy and, and celebration with a, a new sermon series today. So starting today and all the way till Christmas Day, we're going to be celebrating the season of Advent. If you're not familiar with, with the word Advent or what it means, Advent simply celebrates the coming of Christ, the come, Christ who has come and the Christ who is going to come again. And there are two ways in which, in which we want to celebrate Christ. First, we want to celebrate Christ with grateful adoration. In the Advent season, we pause to remember and to cherish what Christ has done for us. We also pause to allow our hearts to be filled with a fresh wonder of Christ Jesus. The second way we want to celebrate Advent is we celebrate Christ with glorious anticipation. And that's what Cindy was talking about and praying about in the time of worship. In the Advent season, we also look forward to the second coming of Christ Jesus. We look forward with, with, to the eternal hope that we all have because of what Christ Jesus did for us. That one day, that we will all, all of us who believe in Christ Jesus, we will inherit a world where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death. So grateful adoration and glorious anticipation. The Advent season is all about the reawakening of our longing for Christ Jesus. This morning, we're going to be looking at two men who announced that Christ was going to come into the world. Two very different men who lived in two very different eras. The first person we're going to be looking at is a prophet from the Old Testament, a man named Isaiah. Isaiah lived about 700 years before Christ Jesus was born. And Isaiah probably wrote more about Jesus than anyone who had ever lived before Christ Jesus. Uh, Isaiah saw the pre-incarnate Christ. He saw Christ in his glory before he was born as a man. Isaiah foretold the virgin birth of Christ Jesus. Isaiah wrote about Christ Jesus in his suffering and in his death. Isaiah wrote about the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Isaiah wrote about the second coming of Christ Jesus. All of this, 700 years at least, before Christ was born here on earth. So Isaiah is the first man we're going to be looking at this morning. We're also going to be looking at another man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a contemporary of, of Christ Jesus. When John the Baptist was still in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, the Bible records for us that he leapt with joy in his mother's womb when he heard the greeting of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was then carrying Christ in her womb. And about 30 years after this incident, John the Baptist was the first to proclaim Christ when he began his public ministry. And the Bible passage we're going to be looking at uh, in the first Advent Sunday this year is a passage where John the Baptist proclaims the coming of Christ, that Christ has come. Before we actually read the passage, just, just one point, which we're going to be kind of tracking all through this talk. Even though Isaiah and John the Baptist lived 700 years apart, John the Baptist 
connected deeply with Isaiah's writings. Whatever Isaiah wrote is recorded for us in the Bible, in, the, in what we call the Old Testament of the Bible. But John the Baptist, who lived 700 years, he connected deeply with the writings of Isaiah. And through the sermon, we're going to be looking at three connections, three very profound connections that John the Baptist made with what Isaiah wrote. And from those three connections, I'm hoping to draw um, a couple of very helpful things for us in our lives here and, and now. So that kind of sets up what we're going to be uh, doing. Let's look at the Bible passage for this morning. I'm reading from the book of John, verses 29 to 37. It's going to come up for us on the screen. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. For this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us before we dive into this talk. Uh, Father, we thank you that, that you are calling us afresh this morning as you are calling, us, calling out to us every single day to behold the wonder of Christ Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, through your word, would you, would you renew our hearts? Would you reawaken in our hearts a beautiful, deep longing for Christ Jesus? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me just take a minute to give a quick background on what's happening before uh, the passage we read. The passage we read saw John proclaiming Christ. But just before that, uh, he was baptizing people. He was calling people to repentance and baptizing people. And a lot of people who saw John uh, make this call to repentance and baptize people, they walked up to John and they asked him, why are you baptizing? On whose authority are doing this? Are you the Christ? And in reply to them, John answers very clearly, no, I am not the Christ. And then he goes on to say something which is recorded for us in verse 23 in the same chapter. John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. What John is doing here in announcing his ministry, in clarifying his ministry, he is going back to what Isaiah said in chapter 40. So this text that John is proclaiming is verbatim from Isaiah chapter 40, again written 700 years ago. Jesus un John understood that this passage in Isaiah written 700 years ago was actually talking about Christ and he's reapplying that in his context. And that's the first connection that I want to make to help us see how John was deeply influenced by Isaiah's 
writings. That said, I'd like to unpack two things for us from this passage that we read. The first, behold Christ. Behold Christ. Second, I want to spend some time looking at why we fail to behold Christ and, and what's the solution for it. So behold Christ, why we fail to behold Christ and what's the solution for it. That's the ground we're going to be covering this morning. Let's start with behold Christ. Behold Christ. John saw Jesus walking by the first time around and John exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, world, the word behold is first uh, an excited and delighted exclamation of surprise. But then, once the surprise has been experienced, it is also a call to pause, to reflect, to consider the full beauty of who Christ is. The word behold is a call to marvel. It's a call to admire. It's a call to adore. It's a call to relish and enjoy who Christ is. The call to behold Christ is indeed the call of Advent. So what about Christ was John excited about? What, what made John excited about Christ? It's there for us in the text. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. That is what John is calling Jesus. John is calling Jesus the Lamb of God. And in doing that, John is communicating something really beautiful here. From the time of Moses till the time of Jesus, human civilization only knew the Lamb of men. All through human religious history, it was only men and women who offered lambs and uh, sac other sacrifices to God for the atonement of their sins. It is not just one religion. Pretty much all religious thinking in, in human civilization at that point in time, all of that had varying different concepts of the lamb of men. It was always men and women who would offer sacrifices to God, animal sacrifices to God, to placate God's wrath and anger at, at, at their sins. So in no human civilization, no culture, no religion, was there ever a notion of God making a sacrifice for the sake of man. It just did not exist in the paradigm of human religious thinking. And so for roughly 400, 1400 years, 1400 years from Moses to Jesus, the entire paradigm was all about men sacrificing something to God for the forgiveness of their sins. But when John cries out, behold the Lamb of God, he is turning human religious history on its head. For the first time ever in human religious history, God is now offering a lamb to pay for the sins of men and women. And I hope we are able to see the full significance of what happened soon after the first Christmas. God is offering a lamb 
to atone for the sins of men and women. And this lamb is his beloved son, Christ Jesus. And this is where I'd like to make a second connection between how John the Baptist, second connection to show how John the Baptist was deeply influenced by the writings of Isaiah. This concept of, of the Lamb of God, this concept, this idea of, of, of God offering a sacrifice for the sins of men did not exist. It is there, not in popular religious understanding, but it was there hidden in the writings of some prophets in the Old, Testaments, or Old Testament, uh, including Isaiah. And so this idea that John had was revealed, to God, revealed by God to him, but I, most probably, given the familiarity that John seems to have with Isaiah's writing, most probably John received this revelation from God through the book of Isaiah. Allow me to read a passage which most likely John would have referred to when he called Jesus the Lamb of God. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 6 to 7. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Christ Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet... He opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so Christ opened not his mouth. What a poignant portrait of the Lamb of God being led to his death on the cross. This is how the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He takes away the sin of the world. He took away the sin of the world by being slaughtered on the cross to his death for your sins and mine. The, the just and the righteous anger that God has on every one of our sins, Christ takes it upon himself unto death on the cross To show us that in Christ and only in Christ is there salvation for men. And having borne the wrath of God, having fulfilled the punishment for your sins and mine, your sins and mine, Christ Jesus rose again from the dead as proof that the sentence is finished, the price has been paid for. Behold Christ. That's the first thing this passage is calling us to. Behold Christ. That brings us to the second thing that I'd like to draw for us from the passage. Why we fail to behold Christ and the solution. Why we fail to behold Christ and the solution. Listen up, guys. I don't think you need me to tell you that none of us behold Christ as much as we ought to. And I'll put myself first in that line. None of us, none of us are, are grateful enough for what Jesus has done for us. None of us are responsive enough to what Christ Jesus has done for us. None of us cherish Christ anywhere near as much as we ought to. 
And so I think it's important, it's very helpful for us to spend some time reflecting on this. Sure, in, in a moment like this, when the songs were about Jesus and we were talking about Jesus and, and what he's done for us, in moments like this, we, we are experiencing a sense of wonder. But what happens to the sense of wonder during the week? Why is it that every one of us, myself first, we, we kind of miss that wonder. We forget what it is to live in that wonder of Christ Jesus. So many uh, uh, moments and seasons in our, in our week that we don't even, Christ is not even there in our subconsciousness. We, we've forgotten him. We, we've relegated him into some deep corner in our, in our hearts. Why is it? And I want to spend some time talking about that. I want to talk about two reasons. Two reasons why we fail to behold Christ. The first is busyness. And the second is bitterness. Busyness and bitterness. Let's look at busyness first. We all know what busyness is. We are all too busy to pause and marvel at Christ and enjoy him several times a day. And so we lose our wonder, we lose our wonder and our worship of Christ when we don't give ourselves enough time to gaze at Him. Imagine this with me, I'm going to share, share an illustration to kind of bring this home to our hearts. Imagine this with me. Imagine you're going on a trek to a beautiful mountain. And, and you climb the mountain, it's probably just after the uh, monsoons, you take some time to climb the mountain and you kind of reach the top of, of the mountain there at the, uh, at the peak of your, of your trek and you breathe in the cold and crisp air, you get your shoes off and, and the soft grass um, wet with fresh dew caresses your feet, you can feel the grass at your feet, you, you look around you, you, you take in all the sense of and, and beauty and, and quietness and there's a crisp gentle breeze that's blowing across your face and as it blows across your face it takes away with it all the stress that's been building up in your life imagine that moment all of us have had similar moments like that can we ever forget a moment like that we can never forget a moment like that for the rest of our lives now imagine you go way back to your, the grind in Mumbai at the end of the trek and then you come back to the same place a few months later. You come back to the same mountain a few months later. And as you prepare for the trek, as you begin your climb, have you forgotten all the beauty that you experienced last time? Not at all. Is all that beauty that you experienced the first time, is it still vivid in your heart and mind? Absolutely vivid. We can, we can remember it clearly. The second time when you go up, even though the memory, is, the memory is still vivid, and as you're climbing up, you know exactly what to expect. The mountain really hasn't changed. You know exactly what you expect. And when you go up, when you actually climb the mountain, we find that that experience is as blissful as ever. It doesn't matter how vivid our memory is, the actual experience is always better than the memory. Think about this. Stay, stay with me on this illustration for just a little bit longer. There are two things involved here. First, 
we have a memory of the mountaintop. It's a vivid memory. We're never going to forget it for the rest of our lives. Second is an actual experience of the mountaintop, which every time we climb it, we get to enjoy that experience again and again. The question I'd like us to think about is what would you rather live in? Would you rather live in the memory of the mountaintop or would you rather live in, in the actual experience of the mountaintop? No brainer, it's a pretty simple answer. We all would rather live in the actual experience of the mountaintop. Here's the point I'm trying to make with this. As followers of Jesus, some of us, we are living in a mere memory of Jesus. We are too busy to make time to create an actual experience of Him. The call of Advent, the call to behold Christ, is the call to move from a mere memory of Christ Jesus to move into an actual experience of Him. Some of us, we are living in a mere memory of Jesus. And we are asking ourselves, why am I missing this wonder? Why is Jesus not fresh? Why is Jesus not real to me? Why am I missing the power of Jesus in my life? We are missing Jesus because we are merely living in a memory of Christ and we haven't made time to enjoy an experience of Him. Any memory, however vivid, is a poor substitute for actual experience. Imagine a newlywed couple. Let's say they, they kind of spend six months together and for whatever reason the husband has to go live in another city for, for three months. And during those three months, uh, do you think both of them living separately in two different cities, they're going to say, oh, what a wonderful six months we had. Oh, it was so good to spend those six months together. And, and that's good enough to keep me going for the next three months till, till we come back again. I mean, have you ever met a couple like that? No way. I mean, of course they have rich memories of those six months together. Of course they have vivid memories of those six months together, joyful memories of the six months together. But that is not enough. That is just not enough. And I can bet a couple like this will be really desperate to get back together because they know that a memory, however vivid, is a poor substitute for experience. And so it is in our relationship with Christ Jesus. If we come to church once in three, four weeks, if you don't really plug into small groups to enjoy and experience Jesus through the week. If we, if we just don't have, you know, we're all so busy. I don't even have 10 minutes to read the Bible in the, in the morning. You know, life is so busy. Uh, you know, if, if that's the kind of life we live, then we are living in a mere memory of Jesus. I'm not saying we're not, we're not followers of Jesus. Of course we are followers. We are believers. But we are believers of Jesus who are content to live in a mere memory of the Jesus we know. We have to make time to experience Jesus. And that, that is why we place so much, so much emphasis on coming together as community and going by ourselves away alone to read, read God's word and enjoy Jesus through God's word. These are real experiences of Jesus.
So when we come together like this, now, the time of worship, the time of communion we're going to have, these are real experiences of Jesus. We need to create more and more of these experiences in our, in our lives. Folks, this is, this is the call of Advent. And this is, this is what I, how I want to encourage us and exhort us this Advent season. Let's not settle down to live in a mere memory of Jesus. And this Advent may be our joy, may be our desire to seek out, to, to seek out experiences of Him. It is only when we seek our experiences of Him that we will grow in our wonder of Christ Jesus. This is when we will truly behold Him. We cannot live just on a past memory of Jesus. We live, need to live in a present experience of Him. You know, as a generation, we have forgotten what it is to behold. We have forgotten what it is to pause. Of course, we behold Instagram. But think of our beholding habits on Instagram. You know, our thumbs have really, I think, our thumbs have got some, some supernatural abilities. You know, the, the speed with which we scroll and just, just kind of run through even Instagram, which is, which is pretty close to many of our hearts. Even that, we don't really have a time to behold. Our culture has done something to us. We've lost our ability. We've lost the joy. We've lost the pleasure of just pausing and beholding. You know, I, I see this playing out in my marriage. Uh, sometimes Aji starts sharing something, and I'm kind of in a rush. Okay, tell me, tell me, get to the point. Tell me what you need to tell me. I, I, I'm losing my ability to behold her and to just, just, it's not what we are talking about. It's not the decision we need to make or where we need to go. But just, just that moment, the journey of just being husband and wife. I'm finding that I'm losing that ability to behold. The call of Advent, these 25 days, that's what we're going to be doing together as a church. We're going to rem remind one another to behold Christ Jesus. And that's the first reason we fail to behold Christ, which is our busyness, the curse of busyness. The second reason we fail to behold is bitterness. Let's go back to the passage um, we are looking at this morning. Jesus, I'm sorry, John exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But there came a moment in John's life when John the Baptist, when he lost his wonder of Christ and he began to doubt him. Let me give us the context to this experience of, of John. Uh, in Jesus' and John's time, there was a king named King Herod. Now Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife for himself. And John was publicly declaring that this was a sin and Herod didn't like it. And tell me which king liked being, likes being called out publicly. And so Herod had John arrested, and through a different combination of circumstances, Herod actually had John beheaded. And so when John was in prison, unfairly arrested, he began to have his doubts. He began to doubt that Jesus was indeed the Christ or the Messiah. And so John from prison sent two men to Christ and asked him this question. And we can read that in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 5. Let me just read that question. John sends two disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
are you the Messiah? Are you the one who I proclaim to the world you are? Are you the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? In his bitterness, John had lost his wonder of Christ. In his bitterness, John began to doubt. None of us have been to prison for Christ, not yet. And I hope none of us will ever get beheaded for Christ. But we all do end up doubting Christ and we all end up losing our wonder of him for far more trivial reasons than imprisonment or, or death. That's, that's true, isn't it? You know, in our, uh, I'm tempted to joke about some of the silly things that we tend to get upset or disappointed with Christ about. If I joke about it, I know I'll hurt you because in that moment it seems so near to us. I can relate to it. I am like that. But you, you go aside two weeks, three weeks, six months down the line, you look back at how pained I felt at some incident and I think how silly, silly is that. So, so I'm not going to joke about it. But, but the reality, the reality is for various reasons, we all begin to doubt Jesus. We all have moments. God, where are you? Why are you not answering my prayer? Do you even care? How long are you going to be indifferent to me? Real questions we all have. And John was going, John the Baptist was going through a moment like that. Imagine, he's the man who cried out, Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was the man who baptized Christ Jesus. He's the one who saw the, the Holy Spirit descend and remain on Jesus like a dove. And this John, this John who baptized Jesus is asking, are you really the Messiah? You know, at New City, we, we don't judge people who have these doubts. We empathize with people who are experiencing doubt. You know, if even John the Baptist had a moment of doubt, I don't think we need to put up a brave friend, brave front and pretend that, hey, we, we never have any doubt. You know, we are sorted. We are spiritually on fire. <laughs> we, we don't have to pretend. If you're, if you're new to a church, you know, if you are an explorer, if you've been um, uh, coming to church for a few times, and, and you're not re you like this church experience, you like the music, uh, hopefully you like what I speak sometimes a little bit at least. And, 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 and you coming here, you enjoying all these, but you're not really sure, hey, is Jesus really God? You like Jesus, you're curious about him, you like what he stands for, but you're not yet ready to commit, you're not yet really sure. And I hope you've experienced this already, but I want to tell you the New City is a safe place for you to process your doubts. We will not argue with you. Let me assure you, I bet none of us have ever argued with you about that Jesus is God. We, we're happy to discuss it if you want, at your pace, whenever you're ready, but we will not argue with you. We will not judge you. We will not exclude you. You are welcome to enjoy this community as much as you want as you engage with your doubts about Jesus at your, at your pace. That's for those of us who are still exploring Jesus. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, believers of Jesus, who've been believers of Jesus for many years, we have our doubts too. And I've had, I've had my doubts too. And, and I've had conversations with a few of us who've had these doubts. Several conversations over the past uh, few years. But let me just say this. If you're a believer, 
if you would consider yourself a believer in Jesus, but you're still wrestling with some questions, let me say this. And let me help you think through this. Is your doubt a lack of faith? Or is your doubt a lack of experience of Jesus? Is your doubt a real unbelief? Or is your doubt that you're still living in a memory of Jesus and you don't have an experience of him? And so he seems far away. And, and so you begin to doubt. If we are living in, uh, merely on Christ as a past memory without enough present experience of Christ, we are very likely to doubt. Even John the Baptist had doubts. I want, to, I want to show us a couple of really beautiful things. It blew my mind when I began to understand what's happening here. I want to show you a couple of really beautiful things about what's happening between John the Baptist and Jesus in John's moment of doubt. First, John the Baptist did not hide his doubt. He did not pretend that he didn't doubt. He did not put up a bold face and, and perform publicly while doubting privately. Oh, I'm the one who proclaimed. I'm the one who put on Facebook, all over my Facebook, Jesus is God. Now I have my doubts. Now I have my doubts. And so, so I have my doubts, but I have to maintain that. Otherwise, what will people think of me? Right? I mean, I, I, these are thoughts in my heart and yours. He, he didn't, he didn't uh, perform publicly while doubting privately. What did John the Baptist do? He asked Jesus. He asked him. He sent two people. He was in jail. He couldn't go himself. So he sent two people. Are you really the Messiah? I mean, can you get more blunt than that? I mean, he, he didn't soften it. Uh, you know, we thought you would be king. You were riding on a donkey and all of that. He didn't soften it. He asked, are you the one? And he didn't stop there. Should we look for another one? I, I mean, how much more... The first thing of, of beauty that I want to see that is John the Baptist did not run away from Jesus in his doubt. He ran to Jesus in his doubt. The second beautiful thing, I mean, when I saw this, I was just so blessed. The second thing that Jesus, um, second thing I want us to look at is how did Jesus answer John's doubts? How did Jesus help John the Baptist in his moment of crisis? Let's look at the answer that Jesus gave. Two men come from John the Baptist to prison. They ask Jesus point blank on his face, are you really the Messiah or should I start sending people to look for other people? Jesus didn't get offended. I want, to, I want us to read Jesus' Jesus's answer in the same passage. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 5. It's going to come up for on the screen. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John the Baptist question. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What do we make of this answer? What do we make of this answer? You know, at first read, it seems as if Jesus is telling John, Oh, you have your doubts? See all the miracles I'm doing. See all the miracles I'm doing, I'm doing and believe. At first read, it seems that is what Jesus is doing here. I think that's just 10% of what's happening in this passage. Jesus is doing something really tender to John. Jesus is just ministering so beautifully to John. 
these words that Jesus used to answer John, these were not originally his words. Jesus is answering John with the words of Isaiah the prophet. This, this, this answer Jesus gave to John, it's from Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 to 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap up like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is the third connection I want to make for us between to show us how deeply John the Baptist was influenced by the writings of Isaiah. When John proclaimed Jesus was the Lamb of God who, who, who takes away the sin of the world, John learned that from Isaiah. And he's proclaiming those words. But here, when John is doubting, Jesus is taking John back to Isaiah. Jesus is telling John, you believed what Isaiah said about me? John, you believed in all that? Now come, read Isaiah and see that I am doing everything that Isaiah proclaimed and, and forecast and prophesied that I will be doing. Jesus is telling John, you proclaimed that I am the Lamb of God. You said you were preparing the way for me. You did got all that from Isaiah. Come, John. Come, my friend. I'm going to take you back to Isaiah to show you that everything, all these miracles I've been doing, Isaiah spoke about them. So keep believing, my friend. Keep believing. You are on the right track. You did the right thing in proclaiming me as a Messiah because I'm doing everything that Isaiah said I would do. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. John is tenderly and lovingly take away, taking away John's doubts. Jesus is tenderly taking away John's doubts by taking him back to the Word of God in Isaiah in the midst of his pain and bitterness. Here's what is happening here. Jesus, who is the Word of God, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. Jesus, who is the Word of God, encouraged John by taking him back to the written Word of God in Isaiah. And I hope this inspires us to read and meditate and enjoy the Bible every day in our lives. Allow me to close with, with one last thought. Some of us who are believers of Jesus, we struggle with some doubts about Jesus and the Bible. Some of us who are also believers, we don't have any doubts at all. We, we believe. We rarely have doubts. We're kind of sorted. Generally, those of us who do not doubt Jesus all that much, we tend to feel we are better than believers who have doubts of Jesus. So we all have the spiritual hierarchy in our mind, right? You know who is below you in this church and you know who is above you in this church. We all have this. It's pretty clear in our minds. There's no doubt about those. So we who don't doubt or hardly have any doubts, we feel we are better than these Christians who I've been walking with him, I've been discipling him for five years and he still can't, you know, he still keeps coming back with the same doubts again and again and again. So, so we feel we are better than them. That's true, isn't it? That's what we all believe. With your permission, I'm going to dismantle that notion. I'm going to dismantle that wrong notion. 
those of us who do not doubt Jesus, those of us who absolutely believe in Jesus, our faith demands that we live in line with that faith. Otherwise, my faith is pointless. So if I really believe in Jesus, I have to live as Jesus called me to live. If I really believe, if I really don't have any doubts at all about who Jesus is and what he's done for me, I have to do unto others what I would have them do to me. If I really believe in Jesus, I have to love my neighbors as myself. Half of us, we don't even know who our neighbors are. We're just so busy in Mumbai. I have to, if I really believe in Jesus, I have to serve everyone and not expect to be served. I have to serve everyone sacrifice. I ha- if I really believe in Jesus, I have to pour myself out to serve others. I have to bless others at my expense. It has to cost me to love others. If I really believe in Jesus, I have to be doing all of this. Are you living out all of this? I know I am not. So if you and I, we who believe, we, we who live out, who, sorry, you and I who believe Jesus without any doubts, if we do not live out our faith fully, are we really better than other believers who struggle with doubts? You see, we are just sinning differently. They are struggling to believe and we are struggling to t- turn our belief into action. You see, the one who doubts and the one who does not doubt, both of us, we need Jesus equally desperately. Jesus is the Lamb of God who took on his body the punishment for every sin in every one of our doubts. Jesus, the Lamb of God, also took on his body the punishment for every sin of believing but not living in line with our faith. You see, both of us, we need the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, we all need to behold Christ. We all need to see Jesus to have the wickedness and the unfaithfulness and the ungratefulness in our heart to be healed. The call of the season in, of Advent is the call to behold Jesus. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we welcome you. Lord, we pray, Lord. Lord, over the next 25 days, Lord, even now, here and now, will you lift up Jesus in our hearts? Lord, we pray that you will help your spirit, your Holy Spirit will help every one of us fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus over and over again. Lord, we want to come to a place where, Lord, Christ is enough. Everything else that we've treasured, everything else we've lusted after, we will treat with disdain, Lord. We will treat with disdain. Every longing, Lord, that we have not had met, may we find that fulfilled, satisfied in Christ Jesus. Give us this grace, Lord. What would we do without this grace? What would we do without you, Jesus? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.